0: Now last week we looked at one of the myths that's common in Christian circles, the myth of instant forgiveness. That when someone says, I'm sorry, it's our Christian duty to forgive on the spot, to let it go and to move on, no matter how serious. Now last week we saw that this myth is just not true. Forgiveness as modelled by Joseph and as taught by Jesus is a process. Indeed, Jesus made it clear that we must forgive The same situation, not once, but if we need to, 77 times. 70 times 7, if need be. The biblical model is to forgive the same event time and time again until until there is no sting and we have forgiven that person from the heart. And for serious betrayals, that can take months, even years. Otherwise, we may end up like Shelly and Jack. Shelly and Jack are regular churchgoers, but Jack has been unfaithful to his wife. Now, when Shelly finds out, Jack is remorseful, he begs for mercy, and he promises to reform. Looking back, Shelly said, From a biblical standpoint, I felt pressure to forgive. Yet, this was more of an excuse for a quick fix. I wanted to avoid the pain of working it all out. It was like, I'm going to forgive you, let's move on. You don't want to talk about it anymore, great. Neither do I. Shelley's instant forgiveness was done and dusted in three days following Jack's initial disclosure. However, she didn't realise his confession wasn't complete. He had been holding back. And Jack, looking back at that same time, said it felt a good deal to me. I was able to keep all my secrets. And, well, it was good for Shelley. It was less painful for her. And I felt let off the hook. So, Shelley and Jack started to do things that made their marriage look like it was going well. However, both later admitted that during this time, their relationship was rubbish. It wasn't until Shelley got a chance to get away with a friend for a few days that she was able to get some distance, take stock and realise how bitter she had become. And here in this situation we see not one but two myths that are destroying this marriage, that are stopping it to be truly reconciled. The first myth is that forgiveness is instant. But it's the second myth that I want to look at today. And the second myth is to forgive and forget. That once we're a forgiven person, no matter how serious, that there are no consequences or no boundaries that we need to set up. And we're going to look at uh, that in three different ways today. First of all, we're going to look at the example of Joseph. Then we'll look at examples from today, some contemporary examples, to see how this is put in practice And then we'll look at the example of Christ. The myth is we forgive and forget. The truth is we need to set up consequences and boundaries. So today we're going to backtrack through the story of Joseph. We're going to look at two situations, when the brothers first came to Joseph and then the second trip when they came to visit Joseph. And if we remember that Joseph's family are struggling under famine conditions, and it gets so bad that the brothers have to travel to Egypt to purchase grain. And Jan read that, about how they appeared before Joseph to buy the grain, and they didn't recognise it was Joseph, but he recognised it was them. And then he spoke very harshly with them, even accused them of being spies. Now the question is, why did Joseph do this? Now we can understand that If Joseph was speaking harshly, we can understand that if he was about to extract revenge. We can understand him being nasty and cruel. But that wasn't his intention at all. His intention was to forgive. So if Joseph was planning to forgive, why the harsh words? Why the accusations? It becomes clear when we recognise what the central issue is. And what Joseph's wrestling with is this question, and he comes to it time and time again can I trust my brothers? Can I trust them? You see, when there's major issues of forgiveness, we can't go straight from forgiveness to reconciliation until trust is reestablished. And so everything that Joseph does in these two trips to Egypt, the brothers' two trips, is all about re-establishing trust. And all the time Joseph is saying, you know, can I trust my brothers? Can I trust Judah? Can I trust Reuben? Can I trust them? So Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies and he puts Simeon in prison. Now this is not out of revenge. This is to try and re-establish trusts. To put the brothers in a situation where they can show themselves trustworthy. I mean, this is what Joseph is asking the brothers. Will they leave Simeon languishing in an Egyptian jail like they left Joseph or can they be trusted? That's the whole point of putting Simeon in drail and the whole ruse of pretending that they are spies. So what happens? Well in many respects the brothers pass the test because when they go back to Canaan they insist to their father they insist on taking Benjamin back to Simeon to be rescued. They want to go straight away. And if they had, that would save a lot of grief because it would have shown Joseph that the brothers are trustworthy. But unfortunately, Jacob refuses point black to let Benjamin go back to Egypt. There's no way that Jacob is going to risk Benjamin's life. And that complicates things. Because then the food runs out and they have to go back. And when they reappear a second time, Joseph's thinking, can I trust my brothers? Well, I'm not quite sure because they're here for the food. I mean, have they changed? So again, he puts them through another test. And this time, he puts a silver cup in Benjamin's sack of grain and so that when it's found out, Benjamin now goes to jail. And it's the same question. Can I trust my brothers? Will they allow Benjamin to languish in an Egyptian jail like they let me languish, or can I trust them? And then we pick up this in Genesis 44. And all the time, Joseph is asking... Can they be trusted? So Benjamin has been picked up with the silver cup and he's been arrested. At this, this is chapter 44 verse 13, the brothers, at this they tore their clothes, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves on the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say, my Lord? Judas replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have a cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Can you see what Joseph's doing? Can I trust my brothers? Here's Benjamin in jail, like I was in jail. Will the brothers leave him to languish, or can I trust them? Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant. And then we have this wonderful speech by Judah who pleads for his brother. And gets to the stage where he even says, I will go to jail for the rest of my life if you will let Benjamin free. And so what's Joseph saying? Can I trust Judah? Can I trust my brothers? And at that, his heart melts. And Joseph says, yes, I can trust you, Judah. And I can trust you, my brothers. They had proven themselves worthy of trust. And then we see in, in chapter 45, those verse um, 12 or 13 verses, the most beautiful family reconciliation. It's just wonderful to see. As Joseph weeps and sobs with tears of joy and hugs them. and the brothers at first are terrified because they recognise Joseph and think, wow, well, we're in trouble. And Joseph says, no, <laughs> I've forgiven you. I trust you. We'll work this out. And so we can see here some wonderful principles that we can carry to the everyday. Joseph has shown us that it's appropriate that when we forgive someone that we set up consequences or boundaries, not to punish people, but to give them an opportunity to re-establish trust. We don't forgive them forget. It's a myth. So let's look at a couple of examples from today. A situation of Max and his parents. Max is a teenager and unfortunately he's in trouble with the police. His father goes to the station to pick him up and the police tell his father that he's been caught breaking and entering. Getting him home, mum and dad sit down with Max to discover that he's been in a pattern for some months of skipping school, hanging out with mates, drinking and getting into trouble. Now, Max is remorseful, and the mum and dad feel that he's genuine. But what are they going to do? You know, grounding him for a month, eh, thats not enough. Grounding him for a year would be satisfying, but not very practical. A bit of a yell and a shout from mum, followed by an equally good yell and a shout from dad, might make the parents feel better, but probably is not going to help. What are they going to do? How are they going to re-establish trust with Max? So what they do is they insist that he download on his phone a location app. And it's an app that speaks to mum and dad's phone so that mum and dad can open the app and at any time they like, they will know where he is. And if they do that during the day and find out that he's not at school but at the mall, then there will be trouble. So Max downloads the app and they set it up and mum and dad follow through. At random times, they check. And then this rolls over and it becomes a pattern. And Max even gets to the stage where one night he sits down with his dad and says, hey dad, do you want to see what I did today? And he brings out the app and they go through his day. Now after six months, mum and dad are happy. (laughs) You know, He hasn't been caught out. There's been a few false positives where they thought he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But when they talked to him, no, no, he had the explanation. And so they said, Max, we trust you. You can take the app off your phone. And then Max says, ah, no, don't worry about it. You can leave it on if you want. I'm fine with it. Now notice the family here rejected the forgive and the forget myth. They could have just grounded him for a month, did a bit of yelling, and then let it go. But no, what they did is they set up clear boundaries and they enforced them. And the boundaries weren't punishment. They weren't there to punish him they were to allow him to re-establish trust. And that's how biblical forgiveness works. Let's look at another example. Let's get back to Shelley and Jack. Nine months after the initial disclosure of unfaithfulness and their attempting to sweep it under the carpet, there was a major blow-up. Desperate, they seek help. And in counselling, Jack is encouraged to come clean and he discloses everything, multiple occasions of unfaithfulness. And Shelley is shattered. The bottom of her world just drops out. The patterns of lies and deceit for so many years crushes her. But to her credit, she wants the marriage to work. But she's learned So she refuses to buy into the two myths of instant forgiveness and forgive and forget. So with the help of a good counsellor, boundaries are put in place. Shelley starts working on that forgiving 77 times, and for some days she feels like she uses up that quota in one day. And Jack has to finally deal with his consequences. So one of the systems that they set up in place was the five-minute phone rule. Now, how does this work? Well, Shelley can call Jack at any time and he has five minutes to answer the phone. He either answers it straight away or he sees that she's called and he's got five minutes. Now, if he doesn't answer in five minutes, Shelley has the right to believe the worst. She can assume that he is with a mistress or looking at pornography or anything like that and Jack has no comeback. He can't accuse her of being suspicious or unreasonable Or jealous, he just has to explain himself. Now one time, three months into the process, Jack is at an important meeting. He's about to give a significant presentation. The CEO and the other senior managers are in the room. This is career-defining sort of presentation, and the phone rings. And everyone in, in the meeting, CEO, the managers are looking at him, thinking, why haven't you put your phone on silent? And he looks at the phone and it's Shelley. So what's he going to do? <laughs> so he looks the CEO in the eye and says, it's my wife and I have to take this call. And he leaves the room. And the rest of the people in the room are speechless. Now what does this tell you about Jack? And when Shelley finds out what happened, how do you think... Shelley felt. She's thinking, "Well, can I trust Jack?" And I actually, I'm not sure, but maybe I can. Maybe I can trust Jack. And so every time she makes one of those five-minute phone calls and he answers, or you know, gives an explanation of what's happening, that trust is being built one phone call at a time. Now, that wasn't the only thing that they set in place. That wasn't the only boundary. They worked with the counsellor over many, many months. And over those months, even though it was hard and difficult, their marriage improved. Only someone who's been through this knows what it's like. And though Shelley felt like giving up many times, and Jack was finding it really hard himself, they hung in there, until trust had been rebuilt. So you don't go from forgiveness to reconciliation straight away. Forgiveness, rebuild trust. And it turned out not only months, but a few years later, when the pain had lessened and it wasn't so intense, Shelley can remember that time when she thought of her husband's infidelity and there was no sting. There was sadness, but there was no sting. And it took a few years but their marriage was healed. So, let's pull all this together. What can we say? Forgive and forget is a myth. Consequences and boundaries must be considered. Now, nine times out of ten, maybe even 99 times out of 100, the consequences are minor. Now, I used this example last week, and I'll use it again. So, One day the spouse, just read me in this, one day the spouse agrees to bring some groceries from home from work and I forget. And Judy says, where are the groceries? And I say, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I'll whip round to the dairy and I'll get some things. And I can guarantee that the process of Judy's forgiveness is very quick and the consequences aren't severe unless it's the fifth time that week. But you get what I mean. 99 times out of 100 our level of forgiveness is really at that level isn't it you know it's not that grim you know our children are doing things and friends and colleagues and when they say they're sorry it's a pretty quick process but what i'm talking about is the really big things that happen in our life you know those really major betrayals where you know where we're hurt and boundaries need to be reestablished not to punish but to rebuild and grow trust. When you combine the two answers to the myths, you know if you reject forgiveness as instant, and if you start working on the fact that forgiveness is a process, if you reject the other myth of forgive and forget, and realize that consequences and boundary need to be extended, you will find you will be able to forgive people from the heart. And remember, that's Jesus' standard when you combine those two, you will be very powerful forgivers. It's my prayer that this congregation and especially your minister will be very good and become experts at forgiving others. And in all this, Christ is our example. For not only did he take our sin on himself, but he also took the consequences meant for us, for Jack Jesus took Jack's adultery upon himself on the cross. And not only this, but the full consequences, the debt owed to God. For Jack did not just sin against Shelley when he had his multiple affairs. No, he sinned against God as well. Remember, when we sin, we first and foremost sin against God, and there are consequences, and secondary, but importantly, we also sin against others, and there are consequences at that level. So Jack owes God. And God does not say, Jack, you ask for forgiveness, so I'll forgive and forget. God does not say that at all. No, God says, Jack, you ask for forgiveness, but there will be consequences, dreadful consequences that will be paid for. There will be no exception. But Jack, Jesus has paid your consequences. He's paid them in full on the cross and that's the good news of the gospel. And why did God do this? To reconcile you and I to God. See, it's not just Jack, but Shelley and you and I, all of us, owe God a huge debt and there are consequences. But Christ took our consequences for our sin upon himself that we might be Reconciled with the loving God that we might be able to call our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. This is how we are forgiven, through Christ alone. This is why we forgive others, because Christ first forgave us. Let's pray.